Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Imagine you're a recruit who just stepped off the bus at Paris Island, South Carolina, where civilians are made into Marines. This is boot camp. You're an airborne! Great Grove Recruit Depot, Paratel, South Carolina. And you have just taken the first step in becoming a member of the world's finest fight force, the United States Marine Corps. Okay, so Except for the guy. That means every single one of you are moving as you are saying that. Do we understand? Those women that you just heard are going to 4th Battalion, the only all-female training depot. That's because in the Marines, men and women train separately. They're the only branch to still have gender-segregated initial training. I'm Kayla Jackson. And I'm Caitlin Kenny. We talked to Kate Germano, a Marine who was the commander of the 4th Battalion. In 2016, she was publicly fired for her approach to changing how women are trained in the Marine Corps. We talked to her about what it was like to train female recruits and what more needs to change, which is the focus of her new book, Fight Like a Girl. Also joining us in the interview is her co-author, Kelly Kennedy, an Army veteran and the only woman to have served in combat and then later report on it as a journalist. Their book comes out April 3rd, 2018. And my first question to Kate was, when did you know that you wanted to write a book about your experiences at that battalion? So it wasn't until I was approached by someone who said, hey, you know, people are going to want to read about this story. And this was two, two and a half years ago. So this was before the Me Too movement. It was before Harvey Weinstein. And it was really difficult for me to understand why someone would want to read about it. But then when I stepped back and I thought about the more broad issues that women face in the workforce, which are the same whether you're in the military or you work in any other environment, um, that's when I really figured out that it would be something worth doing. The process of the book and you saying being approached, what do you think has been the most challenging part of visiting those experiences again and kind of putting them into the storyline. Well, Kelly's been my therapist, uh, unfortunately for her, to a great degree um, because the book experience has been cathartic. I was very cognizant of the fact that I didn't want to pollute the waters with me and my personal feelings. The most important aspect of this entire story is the bottom line that women face these issues in the workforce, both disheartening to revisit those as we talked and wrote through the the chapters, but it was also cathartic because it was a way for me to tie in my personal experiences and feelings with the issue. I think there's going to be a point where Kate is actually glad she was fired because I think that her story is so compelling and so many people are going to relate and it's going to make some changes and it's going to be a good thing. Caitlin and I were, you know, chatting last week about our questions and we were just getting so frustrated (laughs) being, you know, in the army currently. It didn't really dawn on me the implications Mm -hmm. of, you know, having gender segregated kind of boot camp. And they have so many effects. You know, these women get out, the men get out and realizing they've never interacted. How do you kind of expect them to, to work towards a common mission and common goal together? Why wouldn't you want all Marines to be tougher, faster, stronger, smarter? My belief is that by strengthening women and making them stronger, faster, tougher, smarter, 
you are strengthening strengthening the national defense. I mean, I think that is the point that that every commander wants to make sure that they're doing is is you know, hey, we want our Marines to be the best and the toughest, so that when the nation is put in harm's way, we can react the way that we should. It always seems that for a woman to prove a point, she has to come up with facts. And that's a big topic that you discuss in your book is that from the recruiting battalion to the 4th Battalion, that you had to do your own research and your own statistics and, like, show them, look, this is the numbers. This is what we have. Like, let's go back and see what the the information is in order for you to prove your point. Mm -hmm. It wasn't enough to say, look, like, I've been in the military for a long time. I've seen how women, you know, interact. And, and work and train and, and fight, and this is an issue, and you put me in the position to fix that, but it was that wasn't enough. You had to actually do research and data mm-hmm. and go back and say, look, this is a problem. The Marine Corps has never, ever acknowledged the 40 years of data that demonstrate that the women have been held to lesser standards, to lower standards, at Paris Island. It was critical to have that data to support what we were trying to do. And I think it makes it easy for the Marine Corps to get away with continuing segregated boot camp because they've never had to acknowledge that data. No one's ever said, well, what about this? And that's been frustrating. Was there a specific aha moment that you had when you were looking at the data and statistics and you were just like, okay, this really, this is it, this needs to change? You know, honestly, one of the things that Kelly and I have talked about time and time again is that I never really questioned segregated boot camp until I got to Paris Island and I really experienced it for myself. I really had that aha moment before I even saw the data um, because one thing for my interaction with my um, the person I took over for, um, as we were doing turnover, one thing stuck in my mind. And she told me months before I took command, hey, look, this place is tears and cupcakes. You know, they're either sitting on your couch crying or they are baking you cupcakes. And that stuck in my mind. It was the negative stereotype that we have about women, and that kind of allowed me to think, okay, how am I going to change that perception? Um, and so when I finally looked at the data, this was about three or four months into my, my uh, time in command, for too long we have um, really coddled the battalion, and it's a form of benevolent sexism. And the only way to change that is by saying, hey, we can do better. I expect you to do better, and here's how we're going to do it. And we did. When I got to TBS, which is the basic school, it's a six-month course that all officers go through after they graduate OCS, Officer Candidate School, I, for the first time, failed uh, land navigation. So I failed an event for the first time in my life. And instead of having a company commander who picked me up and said, hey, you need to dust yourself off, get back out there, I'm going to show you how to do this, it's something that you can learn, I had a a captain who was in charge of our, our class who called me his little ball of sunshine. And basically made it sound as though women always struggled with land navigation and therefore he just needed me to pass it. And, and I think when you hear limiting statements like that, after a while, it is subconscious. It becomes part of your ingrained subconscious and you start to believe that, oh my God, all I, all I need to do is pass this and nobody expects anything different. And so I think just leveling an expectation without fear of failure allows people the ability to try to rise to a a higher level of performance. Yeah, we talk about that in the book, too, This the CrossFit Mm -hmm. um, trend, for lack of a better word. Uh, Women are just, they're competing with men. They're they're doing things that we didn't think of as um, possible, possible, but also as attractive. I mean, Mm -hmm. now attractive is strong, and, and that 
could potentially help the military if the military is open to the idea that it exists. We need to get to a point in the Marine Corps where we understand that strength is a positive for men and women because it strengthens the national defense. What is it about like the military and its mindset when it comes to how you guys interact and work together that seems to have these types of stereotypes with women and expectations for them that's not always seen you know, in the, the civilian sector? Out of all the services, the Marine Corps has always been the most resistant to change, whether it was after desegregation, allowing African-Americans to serve in the regular forces and regular units, or it was the lifting of the ban against uh, gays in the military. The Marine Corps has always struggled with change. And so I think what what you see in the relationships between men and women is that the Marine Corps is really struggling with this idea that men and women should be given the same tasks and should be held to the same standards for performance. They're really struggling because um, they have very conservative views about the roles of women. The same standards and the same um, requirement of work in the book, one of the biggest you know, instances and kind of examples of that was the crucible hike. Mm-hmm. In that moment, I was reading it really excited, like, you know, these girls, they're going to knock it out of the water and then it doesn't happen. Kind of talk about like revisiting that experience in that moment because the crucible hike across the board for male and female Marines is required. That's right. And it's kind of, you know, that tumultuous you know, that it's we're at the end of the road. We're b- getting ready to become, you know, Marines. Right. This is it for us. Right. Um, and so having female Marines who I'm sure might have also been excited to, you know, experience this with their male counterparts mm-hmm. and kind of have that taken away from them. I can tell you that from a lot of the Marines perspective, the female drill instructors, they're a product of that environment. So I think a lot of them did not have an expectation that they would share that experience with the men. I can tell you that the most shocking moment of my first two or three months in command was doing the crucible hike, seeing the women get into the van, um, and then getting to the parade deck where we earn the Eagle Globe and Anchor. That's the culminating event for any new Marine and seeing the row of chairs behind the female formation. And at that point, it was just like, oh, my gosh, you know, like the visual signals that we're sending through segregation and through that row of chairs were so powerful to me that that really became the moment where I said, I can't I can't abide by sort of the traditional view of how we make women Marines. I need to do something to improve this. Trying to find moments where I can relate that to my current military career and thinking about, you know, the end of basic training and we're, you know, we're doing our three day FTX mm-hmm. and we do, you know, the ruck march at the end. Of course, it's, you know, it is integrated and thinking, you know, you want to you see the van and you want to get in the van and you're like, no, I can go a little farther. Right. I can go a little farther. I don't want to drop out getting to the end. And I can't imagine getting to that point and seeing chairs and what that would have done to me thinking, I just went through all of this, the sweat, the calluses, the the crying and the wanting to sleep, not being able to sleep. And then at the end, realizing that, you know, what I just went through didn't seem worth it. And that it was expected that you would fall out. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that was really the worst thing to see that. That there was an expectation that some of the women would be too tired, too sore to stand. These weren't women who had really legitimately hurt themselves, I could understand why we would want to seat them just like a a hurt male recruit. But these were women who were expected to sit because there was some belief that by physiological, you know, makeup, they were not capable. And on top of that, Kayla, when you went through 
you had men and women supporting you as you were going through that mm-hmm. FTX. And these men and women, the Marine Corps, didn't have that interaction. So they didn't have that basic knowledge that they were capable, that, that both groups were capable. And in fact, the male recruits were told by their drill instructors that if they fell out, they were weak. They were like girls. They, you know, they were running too slow. They were like the P word. I mean, so that it's a huge divide between the way the Army operates, the way the Marine Corps operates. And this is what I was thinking when I was reading the book was if I was a woman who was looking at joining the military or I was a mother of or a father of someone whose child wants to join the military, like how does this look for the Marine Corps when we're, I mean, this is 2018. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been the Me Too and Me Too military movement. There's been all of this stuff about, you know, women really saying, look, I want to be right. like the best in my career and to see that there's a branch out there that doesn't seem to be really supporting that in terms of its training, in terms of its, I guess, dialogue Mm -hmm. about women and with women. How do you think this will maybe end up with the Marine Corps in the long run? I honestly believe talent goes where talent's appreciated. I do believe that in time, things like the Marines United scandal the Marine Corps having the highest sexual assault harassment rates, you know, having the highest eating disorder rate, uh, you know, segregated boot camp. I think all of that is is going to have an effect. And I think it's unfortunate because I love the Marine Corps. I'm proud to say that I served. I'm proud of my service. I'm proud of my career. Um, so it hurts me to say those things. But that's the reality is that talent goes where talent's appreciated. When you were in this battalion and, and the months were kind of going by and you were having a lot of issues with individuals who seemed to just, just resist mm-hmm. some of the changes that you were you were making and then eventually you were relieved and, and this investigation had, had happened. I mean, did you kind of feel like there was going to be this type of investigation? I still struggle with this belief that surely somebody rational is going to look at the bigger picture, and they're going to say, this doesn't make any sense what happened. But um, I haven't had that come to fruition. It's been a struggle trying to use the checks and balances that are supposed to give someone due process and give them the opportunity for redress um, and have all of those checks and balances fail. Have you heard of any changes or anything to that battalion at all? Interestingly enough, nothing has changed with the battalion. It's still segregated, and the Marine Corps has very clearly said in the last two weeks that there are no plans to integrate, uh, which is unfortunate. They are moving in a positive direction when it comes to, it seems to be, um, when it comes to the integration of training events. What I would say, though, is that until that integration of men and women at training events like hikes and physical fitness is doctrine and it's laid out in policy requirements this is a a transient thing just like in the 1990s when men and women trained together we're going to see the same sort of shift when someone more conservative where there's less attention on the issue comes into power and then i was reading the investigations like well kate did would hug this person not hug this other she got fired from boot camp because she wasn't hugging the right people like what just insane it made no sense at all and i have to tell you there were more significant issues on the recruit depot when i was there and that played out in later events so in one of the battalions there were four training battalions one woman woman battalion and then the rest were for the men 
In one of the battalions, there was a lot of physical abuse of recruits going on. And everybody knew it, and nobody did anything about it. And after I was fired, about maybe eight months later, a recruit died in that battalion. And that commanding officer just went to a court-martial two days ago and was convicted of minor offenses. And the response by the Marine Corps was, well, maybe now commanding officers will take this seriously and they'll actually be out looking at their Marines going through training and watching and making sure that they're doing the right things. That was everything that I was doing. And I'm not perfect, I made mistakes, but everything I was doing was focused on protecting the recruits and making the Marines successful. And I was fired. I talk to, to older veterans and there's always that, well, when I was in, they mm -hmm. used to beat recruits and this and this right. and this. Do you think that we're going to come to a point where, yes, you know, boot camp um, and basic training, you know, DIs and DSs, they're required. There is a transition from becoming a civilian to a soldier, to a Marine, you mm -hmm. know, to a seaman, whatever that process is. Are we ever going to come to a point where it's like, do you need to beat people? You know, do you need that's to right. haze people? Right. It seems that culture and tradition is, is that's the priority. I think in the Marine Corps, we tend to confuse the way we've always done things with tradition, and that complicates the issue. There's another voice that comes in, and that's your husband. Yeah. So what kind of, what? Did, why did you decide to have Joe kind of come in and, and speak about what was happening to you? So I love those two chapters. Just to put it in perspective, I went down to Paris Island as a geo-bachelor. So I was not co-located with Joe. Joe stayed here he did his last year at the Pentagon. He was working for the Commandant, and I was in South Carolina. And so as things were unfolding at Paris Island, he and I were talking on the phone, and we were emailing every day, and I was saying, hey, this is crazy. I don't understand how this is possible. And he, on the other hand, was hearing things from people he worked with, highly unusual for one battalion commander to be referenced in the commandant's staff meetings because the commandant's in charge. He's like a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And so Joe was hearing all of the chatter about the changes that we were trying to make and how they sort of were in opposition to this idea that General Dumford at the time, the commandant, wanted to project about women not being capable enough to go into ground combat. So those two chapters are designed to really show what was happening at the Pentagon versus what was happening at Paris Island and how those two things collided in the end. Yeah, and I think Kate's story would have been a lot different had Joe not been in the picture. I, I think, first of all, for her mental health, he helped her get through yeah. a lot of things. But, but her story might have been, oh, I'm a bad person, I'm getting fired for this, instead of having that backstory of, right. oh my God, this is directly connected to allowing women to be in the infantry. And yeah. it put it at this big picture level that, it also helped. Now that the book is has been written, what what do you hope that people kind of take away from what you've what you've discussed? Yeah, I think one of the most important takeaways is that women who work, whether it's in the military, whether it's in the media, uh, in the corporate sector, they face the same issues, the fa same double binds, the same different expectations, the same biases that women in the military face. And so I want women in the military and in the other sectors of the economy to understand that these are common areas. And we're never going to change the military without outside eyes on and outside pressure. And so if we find a way where we can join forces, I think it's going to put the pressure on the right places to help the Marines and help the military really develop 
a more broad view of gender. But, you know, I, I was gratified to see or to hear Oprah Winfrey for the first time say these issues affect everyone, including women in the military, because for a long time, the sexual assault issue was only women in the military. You know, the, the women who were fighting for reforms to the military justice system on Capitol Hill, they never acknowledged that they had faced the same types of sexual harassment and assault in their careers on Capitol Hill until after the Me Too movement broke. I really think that it's a way to build bridges so that women understand that they have each other and that they can foster change at every level. And I just remember that at the start of almost every chapter is some type of letter to you mm-hmm. From men and women within the military or who knew somebody in the military talking about their support for, for the changes that you were making and, and for what was happening to you and trying to show you support. So it seems like internally, though, that there are people in the Marine Corps who do see a need for change yes. and for allowing women to, to just be the best they can be. Yes. The issue that we have in the military and specifically in the Marine Corps right now is that people who understand that changes are necessary don't always have the broad authority that is needed to implement change. And so those people are change agents and they're positive because they create conduits for information sharing, but that doesn't mean that they have the ability to make those changes possible because they just don't have the authority. And I think that finding advocates, male advocates, is going to be key uh, because we're 51% of the population in general, but we're only 9% of the Marine Corps. So we have to have male advocates on board in the military to make change happen. And until they're given the authority that they need to make those changes happen, it's just going to continue to be that low-level chatter. What would you recommend that men and women do if they see an issue in the workplace, mm-hmm. in the military? Like, mm-hmm. How can they go about it safely, go about it in a way that can, can correct but not be you know, brutal yeah. about it? So we teach low-level resolution and mediation skills to recruits, but we do not do a good job of using those tools as we rise up through the ranks in the military. Being a squeaky wheel in the Marine Corps is not generally looked upon as a good thing, and we need to change that because the squeaky wheels are the people who make positive change happen. So I think one is you have to have the courage and the strength to correct something on the spot when you know it's wrong. But two, the checks and balances need to work for the people they're designed to work for. Because until someone feels like they can go to a staff sergeant and tell them something's wrong and they try to correct it and have that staff sergeant respond appropriately, we're going to have this, again, it's just going to be low-level chatter where nothing really changes. For you now, you know, the, the book is coming out in April, revisiting these experiences and kind of now being able to kind of sit in it. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you have any regrets, whether it's during the process of the book or while you were, you know, there at the Recruit Depot? I don't think I was a good enough advocate for the women I was in charge of when I was coming up through the ranks. One of the things that I am least proud of is that I prided myself on being an exception to the rule. One woman represents all women. And so when one woman screws up or one woman is loosey-goosey or is allegedly sleeping around, that one woman then becomes who we all are. And instead of creating a culture where we're willing to step in and say to that Lance Corporal or Lieutenant or Captain, hey, you know, I see you doing really well here. I appreciate that. But 
I really think you need to take a look at this and here's why. We don't do that. And it's a dog-eat-dog environment. And what ends up happening instead is we distance ourselves from those struggling women and we say, well, I'm the exception. I run fast. I'm strong. I, you know, am proficient in my job. And then we leave them in the dust. And that's not leadership. It goes against everything we're taught. When I mentioned earlier about like expectations in the civilian sector versus the military, it seems like you know, when you have someone at work who maybe seems like they're struggling, you know, a lot of times people will reach out and say, hey, you know, what's kind of going on? What can I help you with? Like, let's try and like restructure this so that we can all as a team work together. I just feel like in from what I've read in the book that it's kind of like you're seen as like the plague. Like mm-hmm. you're like, oh, my God, like I cannot touch you. I cannot talk to you. It's like mm-hmm. you're shunning people. Again, until we have a culture where we understand that leadership is leadership, and we expect men to lead women and women to lead men, I think we're going to struggle. I will tell you, in in every other sector of the economy, having done a lot of research on this issue, the same problems exist for women. There are a lot of men who are uncomfortable with mentoring women. There are mm. a lot of men who are uncomfortable with correcting women. And that has to change. Nobody comes to work and gets up in the morning and says, all right, I'm going to go to work today because I want to fail. You look at the Army and you look at the sergeant's major ranks for African-American women. Oh, my gosh. These women have reached back and mentored and lifted each other up. And it's it has worked, which is part of the reason why women need to be allowed into those other positions, because I think it would cr- increase diversity across the board. And we need more women in the higher officer ranks. And you can't really get there if you haven't been in the infantry. In the corporate sector, there have been a lot of studies conducted by academics that lay out in black and white how having diversity at every level of organizations pays off. It actually pays quantitative dividends to investors, to stockholders, shareholders. We don't have anything like that in the military. And I think that when people think about, oh, diversity in the military, it's because they're, they feel like it's being crammed down their throat. They don't understand the benefits. And I think it would be really beneficial if we had something like that that could quantify why having women at every uh, ranked structure and every unit at every level, why that would be of a benefit to the unit's ability to operate. In the military, in a general, there's kind of this, you know, this attitude, we do it because we have to do Mm -hmm. it. I know my experience, you know, junior enlisted, you don't get to ask why. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know, you need to think. Yeah, exactly. You just do it because you have to do it. You ask questions later if there's time. And I think when it comes to kind of creating a culture, like you said, of leadership, mm-hmm. of bringing people up and mentoring, if you treat it as something that doesn't have value or something as a PowerPoint slide or a That's requirement, right. then people don't see the value in it. Until I don't feel threatened, as Kelly mentioned, whether by my position or I don't feel threatened as a man because I've got a woman now doing what only I used to be able to do, until that happens, we're going to continue to struggle with these issues. Well, what are the next steps for you? What is What are you thinking about next? You wanna... <laughs> I'm finishing my novel. <laughs> I'll continue to write and speak. And I would, again, like to continue to build bridges so that women understand, regardless of what workforce they are a part of, these issues are germane and they're the same. You know, maybe the day I'll quit is the day that the (laughs) Marine Corps integrates boot camp and I can, you know, move on to some other issue. There you have it. You've been listening to our conversation with Kelly Kennedy and Kate Germano about their new book, Fight Like a Girl, which hits the shelves April 3rd. I'm Kayla Jackson. And I'm Caitlin Kenny. You can find more stories like these and news about women veterans on ConnectingVets.com.
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.